Dylan, the NFL and ACC football seasons kick off tonight. You can hear Texans Chiefs right here on Sports Up Triad, and Miami will be hosting UAB, which means we're going to get our first look at Hurricanes quarterback Eric King, who I remember covering as a do-it-all QB at Houston, and some like to be a Heisman dark horse in 2020. As for me, I'm officially jumping on the Mac train and drinking some of that Carolina blue Kool-Aid. Putting the Tar Heels aside, that was always my favorite kind of Kool-Aid. I hated drinking the red Kool-Aid and having that all over my lips. There was nothing worse than having just bright cherry red lips drinking the Kool-Aid that's red. So I like the Carolina blue, even though it might make your tongue blue. What was your favorite flavor of Kool-Aid, Sawyer? I think I really only drank red because it was the most well-respected color. Grape Kool-Aid, really good as well. Sam Howe is my preseason pick to win the Heisman Trophy. That's what I was trying to say. It's a quarterback award. Look at the last handful of years. You have exceptions like a Mark Ingram or a Derrick Henry. But largely, the quarterback wins the Heisman. And this year, a lot of good quarterbacks aren't going to be playing ball. Justin Fields, of course. You got Slovis at, a, at Southern Cal. Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. Of course, there's Jamie Newman who knocked, uh, opted out at Georgia. None of them are going to be playing. So really, I think the pool, the next Heisman Trophy winner, is limited to this pool. You got Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, Sam Ellinger at Texas, Sam Howe, Carolina, Ian Book, Kyle Trask, I think, could be that Joe Burrow-like bursting onto the scene candidate to win the trophy. Then you have De'Eric King, who I need to see compete at a higher level. With all due respect to the American, that's just a different level of ball than the ACC even is. Also, I need to see Manny Diaz do something at Miami before I think you can win enough in order to get the trophy. You don't have to win a championship. You don't have to be in the college football playoff to win the Heisman. But I see people talk about it all the time hey, this wide receiver has 50 more catches than the guy who ended up winning the Bolitnikoff, and he plays for a two- or three-win team. They don't give culinary awards to restaurants that have cockroaches running up the wall. It doesn't matter how great of a chef you are. You have to be, <laughs> you have to be at a good restaurant, right? So regardless of how great your stats are, if you're on a losing football team, you're disqualified from winning these awards, generally. But you don't have to be a playoff team either. Just ask Lamar Jackson or Johnny Manziel or Robert Griffin III. So Sam Howe, he doesn't have to be a college football playoff buster in his second year in order to be the guy holding the trophy with the guy posing, throwing the stiff arm out there. Sam Howe, he was statistically better than every single returning quarterback. Every single quarterback who's coming back to college football that's playing this year, Sam Howe put up better numbers. Trevor Lawrence included. Sam had two more touchdown passes, one fewer pick than Trevor did. He had more touchdowns, less picks than Sam Ellinger. More touchdowns than Ian Buck. More touchdowns than Trask and De'Eric King. You name it. Kellen Mond. Yet he's still under the radar nationally. That's another reason why I like him as the pick. Usually the favorites going into a season, they don't win. Leonard Fournette, oh, this guy, he's going to be the best running back. He's going to win the award. We didn't know as much about Derrick Henry, so when his numbers were great, kind of like Leonard Fournette's were great, we valued that one more because he exceeded expectations. Awards are about what you do with the expectations set before you. It's not all about what the statistics are or how many wins you get. Trevor Lawrence's expectations, they are way too high. They are way through the roof. Playing at Notre Dame, you have to deal with that a little bit as well. When it comes to Sam Howe, I don't think anybody's expecting the Tar Heels to be as good as we know them to be. And I don't think many people know what I just said to you a second ago, that Sam Howe has all these touchdown passes, doesn't throw interceptions, and still has two years remaining in school. I'll even go a step further. 
We discussed this yesterday. Sam Howe has a better supporting cast than the Clemson Tigers. A better supporting cast than what Trevor's dealing with. I'd go as far to say anybody in the country. Four of your five offensive linemen back. Travis Etienne, he's better than any of the two running backs the Tar Heels are going to be giving the ball to a lot. But there are two 1,000-yard rushers there in Williams and in Carter. Clemson, they're losing T. Higgins. They're losing... Uh, Justin Ross, who's out for the year with that spinal surgery. North Carolina, they're getting Daz Newsom back, Diami Brown back, Bo Corrales back. I'd take all three of those receivers over any Clemson Tiger. With all due respect to Eastern North Carolina native Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers, who's a pretty good punt returner. Ian Book, he's losing a first-round caliber tight end and Cole Komet. And here's something I think that continues to get overlooked. Continuity on the coaching staff really matters. Clemson had two coordinators on offense last year, Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. Well, Jeff Scott's now the head coach of the USF Bulls. You can't tell me that doesn't matter a little bit. Notre Dame, they're changing offensive coordinators. I think they have former Irish signal caller Tommy Reese, who's incredibly young. He's going to be the OC this year. You don't really have much of a spring practice. Camp's upended. It benefits Sam Howe that Phil Longo is still the OC. Mac Brown's still the head coach, and he has all these weapons he already has built-in chemistry with. So Sam Howe is my pick to win the Heisman Trophy in the preseason. You could tweet the show at SportsUpTriad. 336-777-1600 is the phone number. If you'd like to chime in, if you disagree with my stance here, Sam Howe, If you don't think he's going to be the Heisman Trophy winner, tell me who is at 777-1600. I wouldn't bet on a running back, even though I think Travis Etienne probably deserved more consideration for the Heisman Trophy the last two years. Hard to really think he could continue what he's been doing in 2020. Expectations way too high for Trevor Lawrence. Ian booked the same way. Continuity really matters. And you don't have to be in the playoff in order to win the trophy. Lamar did it in the ACC, RG3, and Johnny Manziel. Let's transition things to the Carolina Panthers now. We are three days away from the Panthers' opener against the Las Vegas Raiders. The Panthers just announced their team captains in the last hour. Christian McCaffrey, no surprise. Teddy Bridgewater, again, we get it. Quarterbacks, they usually get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to being a captain. Russell Okun, left tackle. Best left tackle the Panthers have had in the last seven years since they let go of Jordan Gross. K.K. Short, the only returning captain from last year. Tahir Whitehead, former Las Vegas Raider, playing against his former team this weekend. And Shaq Thompson, those are the six captains. A little disappointed they don't have a special teams captain. I liked every third home game. Giving some love to the special teams where they announced the starters Colin Jones was that guy last year. J.J. Jansen, one of the longest-tenured Panthers ever. Would have loved to see him get some recognition, but Matt Rule said it wasn't his choice. It was the locker room that chose the captains, and those are the six that they chose. The Panthers have the Raiders, as I've mentioned a few times now, which means Matt Rule's going up against John Gruden, and as he told me a short while ago, he has a little bit of a built-in relationship considering how small the coaching fraternity is. He was always um, really good to me um, when I was at Temple. You know, him, he was in the media at the time. And, um, you know, he always took a liking to me or an interest in me as a young coach. Um, stayed in touch with me all the time, would invite me down, would talk to me about football. He's someone that a couple of times when I've had some job opportunities, I've called and, and asked his advice on. So um, he, uh, you know, I can't even tell you, you know, he's such, he's such, he's just the type of guy. I can't even tell you how exactly I first met him. But I first met him, and uh, he's always been great to me um, every step of the way. That's pretty cool from Matt Rule. So let's hear what uh, John Gruden has to say about the new Panthers head coach and also about the Panthers altogether. This is uh, Coach Gruden from earlier today. I'll tell you what, man. These Carolina Panthers aren't very good. I mean, was that O'Doyle Rules guy and Billy Madison related to this Matt Rule? I don't know, man. But he can't be trusted. And how about this Joe Brady? 
here's a guy I thought was Tom Brady for a minute because I know he went to the NFC South. Then I realized this Joe would have been 11 years old when we got screwed in the tuck rule game. That's not even a joke. Here's what we need to do, men. We just need to keep an eye on the spider 2 wide banana to that gym rat Christy McCaffrey and make sure we get pressure on that little bear Teddy Bridgewater. Because he's a Gruden grinder, man. No, seriously. I called him that on television because the last time he was starting games, I was still doing Monday Night Football with that Sean McDonough. But I couldn't be the only announcer on this team. So we got Mike Mayock as the GM, man. And we've got Jason Witten backing up Darren Waller. This is our game. We no longer have a crazy person at wide receiver, and hard knock cameras aren't here for me to make dramatic speeches in front of. We've got guys who love football, man, and not getting COVID. And I don't want to give away too much of our playbook, but we're going to be saying no to drugs and yes to Henry Ruggs, if you know what I'm saying. And if Peyton Manning is the sheriff, Derek Carr is the deputy, and that's good because Bob Marley shot the sheriff, but didn't shoot Derek Carr, as we all know. Let's tame these Panthers, men. Knock on wood if you're with me. That's uh, that's stunning stuff from Coach Gruden earlier today. And a lot of camera people. Sawyer Dillon, I mean, I didn't think you were allowed to get that close to coaches during the pandemic, but John Gruden, some staggering stuff there. What was your biggest takeaway from that? I mean, you, don't, you normally don't hear a coach just say that the Panthers suck immediately, like first sentence, but John I mean, Gruden, that's, that's how he feels. That's then. just how yeah. bad Carolina is this year. I guess so. Coaches are just telling you how it is for the first time ever. Anyway, who should be the Demon Deacons guest picker Saturday for college game day? I'll tell you next on The Drive. are two days out from college game day making its first appearance in Winston-Salem Wake Forest Clemson 730 on Saturday so I asked the question on social media who should be Wake Forest guest picker and we've gotten a number of responses at Josh Graham Radio at Sports of Dryan but if you have a take on it 336-777-1600 is the phone number before I give you my two cents on that there are three key elements I think ESPN needs to capture uh, for a Wake Forest college game day show. Things I want to see this weekend. At the very start of it, I would be surprised if the Deacon isn't coming out of the gate riding a motorcycle. That would be surprising to me. There needs to be a motorcycle at some point. Uh if Reese Davis, Maria Taylor, or Kirk Herbstreet is riding the uh, motorcycle all the more, I was hanging out with some crew. They're already here in Winston-Salem. They've been here the last few days getting set for Saturday's game, getting set for game day as well. They're excited to be on location and to be working again. And, of course, the Deeks are happy to have the best college football regular originating show there is and there has been uh, on their campus. You would have Lee Corso riding the motorcycle, but as I put on social media a few days ago, I've been told Lee Corso's not going to be in Winston-Salem this weekend. He's instead going to be broadcasting from his backyard. We saw the setup last weekend when everybody was broadcasting or co-hosting from their own remote setups. What I've been told is Lee is going to have the choice for what games he wants to travel to. If he wants to be at a particular show, he has that option, but he also has the option to remain back at home. And I understand it. He's 85 years old. He turned 85 a month ago. Uh, It's a shame that he's not here for the first Wake Forest show, but he's also somebody last week who said, ideally, he'd like for college football to start in February. Not for it to be starting right now, so everybody can play at the same time. So get a deep motorcycle shot that needs to happen. Second thing, food. Krispy Kreme from the original location, Stratford Road. That's what they call the original one. I think there's one in Old Salem that would beg to differ what the first Krispy Kreme store is. Get some Krispy Kreme on the show in the morning 
And then later in the show, when they bring in food, local food, for everybody on the show to eat, how about some Lexington barbecue? Maybe some Texas Pete right there on the side as well. I have no issue with Texas Pete on my pool, uh, pool pork. I know some might uh, have a squabble with that there. But uh, food, you got to make sure you do that right. And the third thing is the guest picker. In a perfect world, you're trying to get somebody to represent Wake Forest. In a perfect world, it would be Tim Duncan or Chris Paul, right? Like, those are the two, Sawyer. Perfect world. You want the biggest name you can find, that would be it. I don't think any of those two guys are going to do the show. Because they would have to fly in unless they're going to do it remotely from their home. Don't quite know what you're going to do there. Chris just lost in the playoffs last week. And Tim Duncan, he got eliminated from the bubble as well. Sawyer, what are you laughing at? Nothing. Just See, you going. don't pay attention to the show while you're producing it. You're just texting and... And laughing away at things, I have no idea what you're looking at. It's or show related. About. It's you know, it's coming. It's coming. You'll you'll learn. Is this a tease for comparing with exactly, with Darren? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So we're doing comparing with Darren in ten minutes. You're trying to come up with these because I sprung it on you very late. Exactly. Like very late. Yeah. So you're trying to do prep stuff while the show is going on. That's what's happening here. Tim Duncan, CP3. I don't think they're going to show up. So here here are three guest pickers I could realistically see. Being on the set. You ready for this? Bugsy Bogues. Demon Deacon lives in Charlotte. He'd drive up and do it in a heartbeat. I think Webb Simpson would do it. No PGA action this weekend, right? So you just had the championship. Webb Simpson, Mr. North Carolina. I think he lives in Charlotte. Have him on the show. He would do it. But here's a wild card for you. What channel is College Game Day broadcast on, Sawyer? ESPN? It's on ESPN. ESPN is owned by Disney. One of Disney's biggest properties is ABC's The Bachelor. And who is Bachelor U? Wake Forest University. So would you be surprised if it's Tyler Cameron or the newest Bachelor, former Wake Forest football player, Matt James, who played for Dave Clawson? You want to know something? When I told my girlfriend that no one was allowed in a Wake Forest game, she goes, I wonder if Tyler Cameron will be there. She even knows that he's a Wake Forest alum. Mm -hmm. So I see Mm -hmm. it happening. I don't think it's going to be Tyler Cameron because he wasn't here long. (laughs) I don't think he had the best relationship with Dave Clawson. I could be wrong on that, but he transferred out. Uh, Matt James, though, did. Matt James, hey, he actually played. He's a North Carolina native. He's set to be the Bachelor. You know, historically, he's going to be the first African-American Bachelor, so he made headlines this summer. Matt James, that would be a terrific pick. Uh, Obviously, you'd like to have Timmy D or CP3, but I would be surprised if it's not Muggsy Bogues, Webb Simpson, or one of the Bachelors that uh, make up Bachelor U, Wake Forest University. I want to thank, I want to give a shout out to my friend B Dot, who was in with us yesterday. He did pay up on his bet. We went to dinner when his beloved OKC Thunder went down to the Houston Rockets. Very stressful finish. He took me to Ruth Chris and Sawyer. That might be the best steak I've ever had. Wow, so that's you're saying hot. a lot. It's saying a lot. It was an expensive steak. It might be one of the best steaks I've ever had. Easily one of the three or four best I've ever had. I'm a medium rare guy. They really took care of me. Uh, the guy who was taking care of us, a big fan of the show. Shouts to Ian over there at Ruth Crest. But then I started thinking about it. I love people telling me about their first steak or their best steak experience, right? Because usually there's a story associated with it. For me, the only one that would be in the running with what I had last night in Greensboro at Ruth Chris, probably in Bird City, Kansas. I don't even know the name of the place, if I'm being honest. I could easily find it. There are maybe three restaurants in this entire town, Sawyer. Like, do a quick Google search. Population 
of Bird City, Kansas. But I was driving from Ray, Colorado, an hour and a half because I heard how great this steak was. I went there, and the steak was so big, it was crawling off sides of my plate. It was so big. Well, you're not exaggerating. The population of Bird City, Kansas is 434 people. Yeah, 447 people. This is the best steak I ever had. I bet you I could do it. How great is this? You could search a town and uh, search the restaurants. I did it. First one that pops up, Big Ed. Was that Big Ed? Big Ed's? That's right. Big Ed's in Bird City, Kansas is the best steak I ever had. I remember having it, and I'm driving back to Ray, Colorado. And what I see ahead of me on the highway is a bleeping tornado. Like a real, like, big tornado. It's going away from me, so I feel like I'm in the movie Tornado, or Twister, I guess, and I'm following it, take a picture of it, and by the time I get home, I put it on social media, by the time I get home, my picture's on CNN. (laughs) Hey, there's this big tornado that's blowing through Colorado. Uh, It didn't do any damage to my home there, but it did get my landlord's house, and man, uh, tornadoes. As somebody who grew up being incredibly leery of of hurricanes, seeing the damage a tornado can do, that was quite eye-opening. Sire, what is the best steak you ever had? Um, down in Tampa, Florida, it's a place called Black Rock. I think there's a couple around the uh, sta- um, United States. You walk in, and it's one of those where you cook it how you want it, so they give you like a big, you know, super hot How do you prefer rock. your steaks? Um, medium not quite medium well, right between medium and medium well. There's that little like perfect spot where that's I'm a medium like, rare guy. Ugh, no, can't do it. Why was it the best steak? Because you, I mean, the meat was amazing, and then you get to cook it how you like it. So it's just every single piece that you taste is going to be perfect. You're not cooking it. You're heat heating it. I don't know what's what's the word. I mean, are you actually cooking it's, it on the it's grill? It's raw. When it comes out, it's raw. So a guy there is cooking it, and you tell him when to stop. No, you grab your fork and you press it against the rock until it's done. It takes like 40 seconds up each side. That's wild. It's pretty It's pretty cool. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, also kind of a scam. You, you're you doing all the cooking. Yeah, you take like 20 minutes what to you, cook your steak. What are you and, talking uh, about? I uh, think Blue Apron's a scam. Look at this. It's terrible. Coming up, comparing with Darren and why 2020 is the latest example of Wake Forest not catching any breaks from the ACC League office. Keep it here on The Drive. It's time to do some comparing with Darren Vought from the USA Baseball Podcast. Going to be having some great guests on the way on that, uh, on that podcast, who do you got coming up next week? Uh, Jim Abbott, the always inspirational, of course, one-handed pitcher who was a star for Team USA in the Olympics that he pitched. He went straight from there to his big league career, never pitched a game in the minors until the tail end of his career when he got demoted. And then, of course, everybody knows about the no-hitter with the Yankees. So all of that is discussed on the next edition of Covering the Bases. Appreciate you mentioning Yeah, Yeah, follow him on Twitter, at Darren Bott. Before we get to compare him with Darren, I just need you to tell me what the best steak you ever had was because I might have had one of the best steaks I ever had last night in Greensboro, but it's tough to really go up against a town of 447 people in Bird City, Kansas at a place called Big Ed's where they were also hosting, I think, uh, prom receptions prior to uh, me getting my meal there. But anyway, what is the best steak yeah, Darren Vaught's ever had? Right? That, yeah. that, that type of place. Now, uh, anytime I have a steak in the state of Texas, it just never seems to disappoint. Uh, a handful of years ago, I do not recall the place ever, which is uh, a sin by me just in case I ever go back. But Fort Worth had an awesome steak probably five or six years ago. High Point played at Texas in Austin this past basketball season before the world shut down and uh, had an incredible stake there, too. And, and given that that's more recent, I should recall where that came from. But it, you can't miss in Texas. 
Fort Worth, yeah, there's a lot of really good places there. I lived in Texas for a little while. All right, let's get to comparing with Darren, though. Sawyer Dillon has something cooked up for us here. Sawyer, would you like to take the wheel? First up, we're going to ask Darren. Darren, would you kindly please explain Clemson playing against Wake Forest with no fans to a tree falling in the woods? Okay, so uh, the, the old philosophical thought experiment, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it or see it, you know, does it happen? Does it make a sound is, is the one wording for it. Um, I, best to my knowledge, that thought experiment didn't have a national TV deal, uh, nor was it allowing virtual fans to join in and watch the tree fall. So I don't see much in common between these two, though I see your point, right, with Clemson, Wake Forest. Nobody's going to be there, but we're, we're all going to see what happens. I'm going to be there, one of 20, 23 people. That's going to be really strange. I don't know what I can do to make that fun, but we'll figure out a way. I might wear like a funny mask. Well, it'll be fun to talk about the the press box dynamic. All right, when yeah. You come back. We'll right? do. Like we'll that's do that. What I'm looking forward to hearing. Find that hashtag content <laughs> content at Josh Graham Radio. What's next on comparing? <laughs> Josh, could you please compare to me Odell Beckham Jr. to oh. old statues? Huh. <laughs> Both are things right now. I don't know if my advertisers, sponsors, and bosses want me talking about the old statues and um, and Odell Beckham, aside from how good of a wide receiver he might be. But yeah, neither have been good looks of late. That's probably the best way to say it. I'm just going to transition very quickly out of this. Sawyer, what's next? Darren, can you please compare Josh not telling Sawyer about comparing until five minutes before the show starts to not packing an umbrella on a trip to Seattle? All right, Sawyer, have you been keeping up with the weather in lieu of your trip to Seattle? Because that just tells me you don't listen to my segment, and quite frankly, I'm offended. Nah, he doesn't listen to you. <laughs> it's okay, Sawyer. I get it. It's fine. Um... But luckily, there's not a lot of prior thought that, that has to go into this sort of thing, right? Uh, it's sort of meant to be a little off the cuff. So there you go. Pretty good. All right, Josh, I need you to compare the Raptors forcing Game 7 against the Celtics to the movie Boogie Nights. You're not pulling any punches. And because, <laughs> and because you've had little amount of time to prepare for this. I assume you've watched Boogie Nights lately? No, you did not. Uh, I guess Dirk Diggler... Uh, Kyle Lowry got his Dirk Diggler on last night. Yeah. And, um... He... Gotta be very careful here. Really do. Uh, yeah. I, I'd say that he exceeded expectations and the Raptors have lasted longer than you would expect there you go that's a that's a good comparison to boogie nights and uh the raptors celtic series what a game that was last night darren Vaught, appreciate you doing this buddy we have to get you back in here sometime soon yeah very soon i will be back uh always fun by phone either way though so i'll catch you guys later he's on twitter at darren Vaught. listen to him and jim abbott on the usa baseball podcast covering the bases all right the ACC League office, much like Sawyer Dillon during that segment, not pulling many punches when it comes to Wake Forest. This year is just another example of Wake Forest not catching any breaks from the ACC League office. I'm looking at their schedule. Nobody's gotten it worse than Wake. And Wake can't really complain about this. John Curry, fans, certainly not Dave Clawson or players, because if you do, you're going to have people shouting you down. It's a pandemic. It's a it's a tough year. The Big Ten would love to play your schedule. Shut up! And to a degree, they're probably right. They can't point that out. But I can and say, hey, why is Wake Forest getting hit over the head with the billy club here? 
Why is that happening? They're the only team in the state of North Carolina. There are four of them, in case you're new. Four teams in the state. The only one that's playing Clemson, Wake Forest. And playing Wake Forest. They're playing Clemson to open up the season. Yeah. Hey, you might want to ease into the season. I completely get that. Here's the number one team in the country. Good luck. NC State. They, they get to play the entire coastal schedule. Carolina, they don't have to leave the state for a month and <laughs> pretty much the back end of the year, too. They got all the breaks. The Tar Heels, NC State. Uh, their schedules aren't that difficult. Duke, not as easy, but no Clemson on the schedule. Wake, they have North Carolina preseason ranked. Louisville, Virginia Tech, all on the preseason coaches poll. My, Miami, uh... They're, oh, thank goodness Wake doesn't have Miami. But Notre Dame, Clemson, North Carolina, Louisville, and Virginia Tech, all on the Deacons' schedule. It doesn't get much easier than that. Uh, Dave Clawson, I think he was referencing this during his comments to the media earlier this week. This is, uh, this is Coach Clawson maybe giving a subtle jab to the ACC League office. The ACC probably felt there was only one team in the country that could handle Clemson in the opener. And it's the same team that they always feel can handle weeknight football games. And the same team that they felt could handle Clemson and Florida State back-to-back a few years ago. And that's Wake Forest. So we take great pride that we think the ACC is the, thinks that Wake Forest is the one program that can handle this. Uh, <laughs> you be the judge there. Is that shade from Dave Clawson? Oh, that's major shade. <laughs> That's the hey, we're so glad that the ACC thinks we can handle Clemson, even though we're 32 and a half point dogs and have been beaten by the Tigers 115 to 6 over the last two years. Thanks, John Swafford. Appreciate that. <laughs> but let's look through the last few years. So 2018, he was talking about the weeknight games. Wake Forest had two short week Thursday night games in the ACC. In 2018, Boston College, you might remember that was when the hurricane was going through and they kicked off the game that Thursday night at five o'clock in the afternoon. uh, So that way they can get it in before the storm hit. Then it was NC State later that year. Jamie Newman's first start on that Thursday night. Here's why that's crazy. Two short week Thursday night games. Prior to 2018, it had not happened in 12 years that a team had two short week Thursday night games Wake Forest did. 2019, last year. The year starts Wake Forest and North Carolina because the ACC doesn't schedule those teams to play each other, but every five or six years, they scheduled a non-conference game. And when you're scheduling non-conference games, you get to figure out what date you want it to be. And I think Dave Clawson and Mac Brown decided it was going to be a Saturday game or Bubba Cunningham and uh, uh, Ron Wellman would have been the, the AD at that time, scheduled it to be a Saturday game. But since it was two ACC schools, the ACC got their hands on it and said, we got this new ACC network. We want it to be on Thursday night. That's what we want. Meanwhile, Wake Forest was set to play the previous week at Rice in Houston, 8 o'clock kick. It's hot. They, they weren't planning to have a short week game, so what did they do? They moved that game to a Friday, the Wake Forest-Rice game, and then they moved the North Carolina game from Thursday night to a Friday as well, so they have a full week of rest. Their first three games last year were on Friday night, and you could reasonably look at it and say, hey, well, the ACC is the reason that happened. Why are you moving around our non-conference game? Making us have a short week after playing late night on Saturday in Houston. Just a difficult, difficult schedule this year. So I understand why Clawson might want to throw a little bit of shade there. That's what it sounded like to me, and it seems Sawyer is in agreement. All right, as I mentioned, we got NFL football tonight. Texans, Chiefs, right here on Sports Up Triad. So I have my final predictions. I wanted to get them in by Thursday and kickoff time here. My final predictions for who's going to make the NFL playoffs so I have all the division winners, the three wild card teams in each conference, and I'm going to tell you who's going to play in the Super Bowl. Oh, and who's going to be holding the Lombardi Trophy. I got all that for you 
next. For those who don't know, the Triad is home to the National Sports Media Association, which celebrates sportscasters and sports writers all across the country. Dave Gorin does a great job with it. Its headquarters are in Winston-Salem after spending so many years in Salisbury. And one of my favorite highlights from the event is just socializing with guys you watch all across the country, and you get to make friends with people from all over the place, which is neat. But uh, there's usually a reception after the big Hall of Fame dinner, and I remember one time there were just these two circles of people, these two uh, groups of people crowding around the hotel bar that we were at. This is like 2, 2.15 in the morning. And holding court there was Bill Raftery and our next guest, who is going to be on the call for Clemson Wake Forest Saturday night, ABC, Sean McDonough, who I remember walking up to them when I saw this and just simply asked Sean, hey, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I didn't expect you guys would be the ones holding bar. And he just simply stared at me and said, did Raftery put you up to say that? And uh, <laughs> this is a great reintroduction to Sean. Who we're good to have. We're glad to have you back on. Congrats on getting a new contract as well with ESPN. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of you moving forward. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing well. That must have been the case of mistaken identity because there's no way that Raftery or I would be anywhere near a bar, especially at that hour of the night. So, <laughs> uh, no, that was a fun time. You know, Dave, as you said, Dave Gorin does a great job um, with the Hall of Fame, and you know, it was my great honor that night a couple of years ago to present Bill as he went into the National Sports Media Association Hall of Fame. So. Uh, that was a good memory, and it's great to be back in this part of the world and really looking forward to hopefully an exciting football game on Saturday night, but more than anything, just looking forward to doing something <laughs> after, <laughs> after not having a lot of sporting events to call uh, for the last six months. You, you've broadcast so many big events, like uh, many big college football games, Monday Night Football, the World Series. So I'm interested, even going back to the start of your career, What's the fewest amount of fans for a game you've attended? Oh, gosh. Well, I've done some now here recently because I've been doing some Red Sox games on radio, uh, on their radio network. Uh, and that's been fun to keep busy, even though the Red Sox are shockingly bad this year. So, you know, there haven't been any fans there. They've pumped in the fake crowd noise, which I actually at the beginning thought might be a little silly, but it, I think it helps. It particularly helps to have some background noise when you're broadcasting the the actual plays. And, you know, when there's a, a big play, they, they pump up the volume, so at least you're raising your voice to get excited to yell over that. So I do think it helps. But, um, you know, I started out in minor league baseball a long time ago, uh, doing games where there weren't very many people in the stands. You know, when I first started in TV at Nesson in, in New England, was doing you know, New England college soccer and stuff like that, and you'd be at some of these colleges where there weren't very many people out there. But you know, it's certainly unusual to be doing these games now with absolutely nobody there. So prepare me for this because I'm going to be one of the few who are at the game on Saturday. Clemson, Wake Forest, game days in town as well, and we're all, we are excited about it. Um, I mean, I was hearing Matt Rule. He was talking to us earlier today, Panthers coach, saying that he's told Teddy Bridgewater, his quarterback, do not be too loud with your play calls and your cadences because teams are going to be picking up on that considering how loud or how quiet the ambient noise is going to be at NFL games starting tonight and on Sunday. So I, I really don't know what my expectation is going to be, but considering you covered some Red Sox games without fans, how are you expecting it's going to feel calling college football with no fans and for how it's going to look for everybody else watching. Well, I'm glad that we have it, obviously. Uh, certainly having uh, games without fans is better than not having games at all. So you know, I am excited that they're going to play. But to me, and I've said this a lot when people ask me of all the sports you do, what's your favorite? And I usually say college football. And you know, so much of that is the atmosphere around the games, You know, not just in the stadium during the game, but in the lead up to the game and you know, walking through the parking lot before the game and the tailgating and the anticipation of it. And all of these games are so important because the, these teams play so few of them. So 
you know, to have that gone, which is such a big part of the experience, will be strange. I talked to Reese Davis and uh, Kirk Herbstreit, who did the BYU game at Navy the other night, and you know, they said it was really, really bizarre to uh, do a game, and you know, really the only heard noise you heard was the players on the sideline and the coaches of the team who made a big play, you know, cheering and yelling and screaming, encouraging each other because they just had a big play. So. Yeah, I think we will probably spend a lot more time in terms of audio on trying to listen to that sort of stuff, uh, obviously, than we would the crowd because there is no crowd. Yeah, I'm interested. Speaking of that Navy-BYU game, Navy was favored in it, and we learned right before the game, Allison Williams was talking to Kenny Amatololo, and I understand Allison's going to be on the call Saturday night as well, uh, talking about how how often they went live with tackling before the year, and they said – well, not really at all. That was the first time they went live, and we saw how much it really hurt them with all the missed tackles we uh, we saw. When you think big picture, though, looking at many of these wide point spreads, and Clemson is a massive favorite against Wake Forest on Saturday, I see there were five FBS football games last weekend. Four out of the five, the uh, underdog covered the point spread. Two out of the five, Outright wins for the underdog, and in both those games, double-digit wins. Do the results mm-hmm. in Week 1, granted a small sample size, make you feel differently about some of these really wide point spreads in games that are supposed to be lopsided? Well, as you said, it's a small sample, uh, certainly. Um, but I do think there are some variables, especially here early in the season, like that. How much did teams practice live, practice tackling, uh, scrimmage, you know, who's healthy, who isn't, who's, you know, the, you know who's in good shape. Uh, you know, there was, there was so much that had to be done, you know, via Zoom, which, you know, I think is great for teaching, but obviously physically it doesn't do you a lot. So, you know, I think there will be some unknowns. There's always unknowns in the first game. You know, have teams change their schematics from the previous season, you know, even with the same coaching staff. So, you know, we talked to Dabo Sweeney yesterday. He said the first game is always the hardest because of, of the unknowns. So, yeah, I, I think maybe in a situation like this, uh, the underdog might have a little bit more of a, a shot than usual because of you know, all the distractions and stuff that's gone into getting ready for this season. Sean McDonough with us here. He's going to be on the call with Todd Blackledge and the gang, 7.30 on ABC, Wake Forest and Clemson. Do I have it right that on more than one occasion – You've gotten mixed up for Jay Billis when doing college basketball games? Oh, usually I get mixed up with Dan Schulman, because I guess because we're both bald. Uh, every now and then, Schulman and Billis, because they do games together, uh, and they're both tall and bald, they get confused for each other. And Schulman told me one, one day the worst thing that anybody's ever said to him is they called him Jay McDonough. So they didn't get any of it right. Um, and I guess thought he was half half me and half Jay Billis, but um, <laughs> no, I don't I don't get confused for Jay. Yeah, what did you make um, What did you make of the ACC coaches' proposal yesterday? That we heard Dick Vitale in the station earlier said he talked to Coach K and he's just trying to attract attention to college basketball, raise awareness that hey, they have a season two and it's supposed to start in two months. But this idea of a three hundred fifty team NCAA tournament field. Well, you know, I think it's an interesting concept. I mean, obviously, with the tournament the way it's been for uh, the last many years now with 68 and fewer than that, obviously, before then, still, you know, the big part of the charm of the uh, the tournament and the anticipation of the tournament is the idea that the big upset can happen. So, you know, it would obviously be the prospect of even bigger upsets if the 240th team in the country could knock somebody off. So uh, I guess there's that part of it. It gives everybody... in college basketball chance to experience the tournament but you know i did not read much about it today i did read a little bit about it but you know i've been focused obviously on college football and specifically clemson and wake forest but i did read a quote from dan gabbett who runs the ncaa tournament who seemed to think that that's something say uh, that that was something that's not even on their radar so yeah i I doubt that's going to happen yeah it doesn't look like we're going to get uh maryland eastern shore playing duke in the first round in a 341 uh, V9 <laughs> matchup. Sean McDonough with us here. Um, before we let you go, we were talking about this because uh, 
a guy on the show, he he lost a bet and gave uh, had to buy a really expensive steak for me yesterday. And it might have been one of the best steaks I've ever had. And I love hearing stories when it comes to steaks because everybody remembers the best steak they ever had. For me, I was in Bird City, Kansas in a town of 447 people. Went to a place called Big Ed's and the steak looked like it was alive. It went on it was like peeling off each corner of the plate. It was so big and it was delicious. You've been all over the place. When I say best steak, Sean McDonough, what's uh what what comes to mind immediately? Uh, steak forty four, a place in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, on the Phoenix Scottsdale line, where we live in the winter. And uh, you know, Jim Bayheim, everybody down here knows the Syracuse basketball coach. You know, I've known him since I was a student at Syracuse, and uh, a few years ago, um, you know, we went to Steak forty four when the final four was in Phoenix, and I call him Mr. Happy Coach for a reason because he's never happy, but he <laughs> has said several times since then that that was the best steak place I've ever been and it's the best steak I've ever had. So if Mr. Happy Coach liked it, then you know it had to be good. Yes. So I would go with Steak 44, uh, corner of 44th and Camelback in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, Jim Beheim, big fan. Uh, we follow him in the uh, ACC, loves the triad. Loves Greensboro. Uh, before... oh, well, he backed off of that. <laughs> yes, he, he did. Nice yes, say. he did. He uh, went to speak here last fact, year. That was the last game that I did uh, for about five months. I was wow. in Greensboro at the ACC tournament when you know the entire <laughs> world stopped. I remember throwing it back to the studio for an update, and the update was Rudy Gobert just tested positive for coronavirus, and the game's canceled, and the NBA is suspending its season. And I remember Dan Dockich and I looked at each other and you know realized that the world as we know it uh, has changed dramatically. Unfortunately, it's changed much more dramatically than we ever could have imagined. But uh, hopefully it gets back to where it was soon. But, I did, I did. yeah, that was uh, back in March and didn't do really anything for a long time. So excited to get sports back. And let's just hope, Josh, that you know as these colleges play their fall sports that uh, they can do so uh, with good health for all the participants. Absolutely. And that's the most important thing. It's great to have games, but, you know, there's nothing more important than anybody's health. So I hope they can do this safely. I didn't even realize that you were on the call in the Coliseum, but how does it wash over? North Carolina. As a matter of fact, we Syracuse people say Syracuse won the national championship because, you know, (laughs) the the national champion wins the last game played that season. That was the last game played. So (laughs) that's right. Uh, How do they win? how, How does it hit you that that's. Six months. That was March 11th. Six months ago tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it seems longer to me. I guess maybe just because, <laughs> you know, there's so much that's been dreadful that's happened, uh, you know, in the, our country and in the world since then. Uh, it just seems like an excruciatingly long period of time, especially when you, you, know, you miss normal life. I think we all appreciate how wonderful, you know, the routine of life is now that we're not living it anymore. And, you know, you miss seeing people, you know, going to dinner with friends and, you know, not to worry about, are we going to, we don't want to sit inside and we have to sit six feet apart. Do we wear a mask and do the whole thing? And I mean, those are things that we all should be doing and hopefully are doing. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's been a really crappy six months, but it did for everybody. Uh, it has certainly given me a renewed appreciation of how much I love my job. Because uh, when I wasn't doing it, I really missed doing it. And more, even more than that, just how much I, I used to jokingly say, uh, half-jokingly say but to friends of mine, like, what do people who don't like sports or don't follow sports, what do they do with their free time? And, and then when I didn't have sports to fill up my free time, I really I wondered that question even more. Because, you know, it's hard to fill the time if you're a sports person that you spent watching sports, being interested in sports, in my case, broadcasting sports, when you don't have any sports to fill all that time. So uh, I'm glad we have it back for a variety of reasons. As I said, I hope that we can do it safely. But, um, you know, I'm certainly happy that we have it back. I just miss the uh, interactions like you were talking about there. That's the last sporting event I've been to as well in Greensboro that day six months ago. And uh, I guess, mask and all, I'll make sure to drop by and say hello in the press box Saturday night. I just appreciate you spending the time with us in the triad today, Sean. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear yours. Stay healthy, and uh, hopefully we'll have a terrific game here. You know, it's uh, a lot of great storylines in the game, and I I think uh, we'll have a big audience on ABC Saturday night because I think there's an awful lot of people who are 
eager to see major college football, and obviously Clemson's developed quite a national following now, and uh, eager to see what Wake Forest can do. You know, I think it's a terrific defense and a very well-coached team, and uh, hopefully they can uh, make it a game. Who knows what might happen. Just make sure to hit the original Krispy Kreme right there on Stratford Road in Winston-Salem. Grab yourself – I mean, I think West Durham told us this earlier in the week. If the hot light is on, you're ready to ride. There you go. There you go, Sean <laughs> McDonough. You take care. Thank yeah, you. There you go. That's Sean McDonough, who is going to be on the call on Saturday for Wake Forest Clemson. you got college game day in town, too. Allison Williams going to be on the call. Uh, Todd Blackledge. I think Todd McShay is even going to be here as well. So it's going to be a big weekend in Winston-Salem. Good to hear from Sean McDonough. Uh, there are just so many great stories from some of those NSMA receptions. Have you ever gone to that event? I've never gone, no. Gosh, you haven't been yet? Oh, goodness. I hope we can get together. Fingers crossed in 2021. But you just see it's a who's who. Like, all right, well, there's Dan Patrick, and there's, okay, there's Chris Berman, and everybody's kind of just hanging out together. And I think you can learn a lot about somebody with the way they interact with bartenders. There's a lot you can learn about somebody. How do they treat that person? Do they treat them like a person? <laughs> do they tip well? Uh, there's a lot you can learn. What do they drink? There's a lot you can learn just observing and watching when you're at uh, when when someone's interacting with the bartender. See, what's your go-to drink of choice? Oh, gosh. You're going to put me on the spot here. Um, Come on, Sawyer. What if I don't have one? I guess the Blue Moon or like an Angry Orchard. We'll go with All right, those. Yeah, two. yeah. So you're going with the beer route. I I don't really, I don't think I've tried anything else at a bar. Really? You haven't tried anything else? No, uh, I mean I mean yeah, I mean things have been shut down. I usually that. I'd like would drive home. I'm and a rum and coke guy. That's what I'm about. Got I, one of those yeah. last night. Yeah, that's good. Couple rum and cokes. Now that I don't drink soda anymore, that's the only time I drink soda. There's if it's mixed with rum, that's the plan. So tomorrow uh I almost called you Robert. Sorry, Sawyer. So tomorrow got a top ten list. Sawyer winces. He's doing physical humor on the radio. He's cupping his face with his hand. Yeah. Top 10 list. I got my best bets. I do enjoy the best bets. I know. There are some, there are some things I got here. I've been flagging things down all week long. So I'm really excited about the best bets for the NFL and for college football. Tonight, I think Miami UAB is going to be a good game. I think it's going to be good. I don't know about Texans Chiefs. What's strange about saying you don't know about something, people just take it as you saying that you do know and it's you doubting something. You ever notice that? Like when somebody says, hey, I love this restaurant. And you say, well, I don't know. People say, you don't? I'm like, no, I don't know. I've never been there. Well, that, You're saying it weird, though. That's like... Yeah, I would take that that way, too. Right. Well, you yeah, shouldn't. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you, you shouldn't, though. It, I mean, words matter. Words mean something. Right? No. That's, so what I'm saying wrong, is, when, when I say, I don't know if tonight's game's going to be a good game, Texans-Chiefs, you're hearing that. It hits your ears as, oh, it's going to be a bad game. Josh thinks this is going to be a bad game. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I don't know. Well, you said, I don't know. That means you don't think it's going to be a good game ridiculous what do you got and take it to the house today you can go on a walk but you can't hide it's next on the drive